You can go ahead and open to Colossians. We've been going through, as many of you guys know, we've been going through this series that's all about Jesus and all the different ways that he's God to us. Um, And the specific church that was here um, was a church that was dealing with a lot of heresy. Even people coming and saying, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And then they would preach something that was so many so that Paul wrote this letter to his own church saying, all right, instead of addressing all the ways that it's false, I'm going to paint the picture of who Christ is. If you know the truth of who Christ is, you'll be able to recognize what is false immediately. And so, as many of you guys know, we've been going through um, the section that's in Colossians chapter 1. We looked at verse 15, 16, and 17, um, where it talks about him as the image of the invisible God, that Jesus is this, he's this image of a God who's invisible so that we can humanly comprehend and we can understand who God is when we understand who Jesus is. And the way that Jesus lived his life on earth is a, is a, it's a testimony to who God is and how he feels about us. We also looked at how he's the creator and that by him and for him all things were made. That God created this world, he created us, and he created us in such a way that we needed him. That without Jesus in our life, without Jesus being the thing that we found our lives on, we can't function fully. It's, it's literally not what we were made for to live without Jesus. And so I'm going to reread those verses and then actually read the next section that we're going to talk about this morning. So if you want to look at chapter 1, verse 15, this is what God's Word says. It says that the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created... Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. I'm going to reread that last verse. And he is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. And he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Can we all say amen? Paul continues on to make a declaration about who God is, that he's the head of the church. And he he says this word body, which is just a reference to what church is. That as a family, we together make up this full body that is the kingdom of God. And Christ is the head of it. He is over it and he leads it. But there's this other verse that's a part of it. He says that he is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. And that speaks a lot to God and who he is because he has supremacy because he is the firstborn. He is over the dead. Last week we talked about these two just key unique characteristics of God that he has that are different from what we have, that God has the ability to create something out of nothing, that God can literally say something and it comes to life. And the other thing is, he can take things that are dead and bring them to life. And Christ himself came back to light and was resurrected by the power of the Father. And he is literally supreme because of that ability that he has. That God himself has this ability that nothing in this world has. Nothing can overcome death in this world. Everyone dies. Sorry to ruin it for you guys. Everyone dies. No one is over death. No one has been able to live on forever. 
No thing has been able to live on forever. And yet, there is only one person that is supreme over death, and that's Jesus Christ. And that in itself makes him supreme because there's this deep respect that we have for him because he alone has the ability to bring us past that bridge. It reminds me kind of when I was in high school, my, my goal was to play college tennis. I wanted to play for a Division I school, and I remember working very, very hard. And the thing about college teams, for the most part, especially when you start to get up there, is that they don't have tryouts. They don't have tryouts because so many people are trying to get on teams from all around the world that it's literally up to the head coach of whether to accept a person or not. And so sometimes when you're in that position as a coach, you literally hold people's dreams in your hand. And I remember just one of the head coaches just of Portland State, the school that I wanted to play for, he held a lot of power and he held a lot of my dreams in his hand. That man got a lot of respect from me because he held something that I dearly wanted. Maybe that's a teacher for you. Maybe you want to graduate middle school and get the heck out of there, you know. And there's a respect that you have for the people that are able to make it do that for you. So that in everything, that person may have supremacy over you. It's the same way with God on a much bigger and much more important scale because he has the supremacy over death. If you've actually, if you've never heard of the word resurrection, it means to raise up. It means to stand up. And it refers to something that was dead and it was made alive again. And that, that's a word that describes Jesus here in this passage and describes so much of who he is and who we are as a family. Because when you look at Jesus and his resurrection, Jesus didn't just die and go to the grave. Because we know Jesus came down from earth, he's the son of God, he proclaimed that to us, but the end of his earthly ministry, the end of his life testified and proved who he was. Because he was crucified, because he claimed to be the son of God, they thought it was blasphemy, he went to the grave, but the resurrection power of God raised him up again and proved that everything that he had said, that he's over death, he's the way, the truth, and the life, was real. Proved he was right, proved it was true. You know, oftentimes we look at a pre-death Jesus, we look at a Jesus who was subject to sin, we see a, not, not subject to sin in terms of he sinned, but he was living in a sinful world. And that even he suffered, is what it says, even he was tempted, which is how we're able to relate to him, yet he did not sin. So he's able to bring us through that. But what about a post-death Jesus? What about that one? What about the Jesus that was raised from the dead and given a new body? What about the Jesus that overcame death and ascended to heaven. And that was the end of his earthly ministry. Not death ended it. You see, Jesus wasn't revived. Jesus wasn't just raised up with the same body, and Jesus wasn't raised up to the same world that he lived before. He wasn't given the same frail body that was subject to death. He wasn't revived. He was resurrected. And in Christ, you aren't just revived you aren't just brought back to the same life that you were. You were resurrected. You were given new life. You died to the old way of life that you were subject to. And you were raised up new in Christ. You were given a new body. You were given a new life. Sin no longer is on the throne of your life. The enemy is no longer on the throne of your life. Even though we live in a world that is surrounded by evil and of sin, it no longer tells you who you are. And you are no longer subject to it. You see, that's the power of the resurrection that lives within us. Because it's not just a revival. It's not just until I just fall back into my old life. I just fall back into my old ways of thinking. God gives you a full new way to think. And he gives you a whole new life. Christianity is this idea that 
you are given a whole new purpose, not just improvement of your old life. It's rather a whole new life in him. That's what resurrection power looks like. You know, I think that there is a definitive part of resurrection that determines who Jesus is and who we, who we are as people because when you look at the other side of it, if Jesus was everything and anything, but he wasn't resurrected, if Jesus was everything that he said he was, but wasn't resurrected, it'd be a much different story for our lives today because he would be nobody and we would be doomed, you know, in that sense. I think a good hypothetical question to ask yourself is this. If the resurrection never happened, how would that change my life? Would you fall apart at the very seams? Would you not be able to function? Or let me ask you, would there be very little changes and you'd remain the same? Because I think that in itself shows you maybe where your heart is because we're the kind of people that live and die based on the resurrection. We give everything to the resurrection of Christ because it's everything who we are is based on that. And we trust God that he resurrected from the dead. There's a scripture um, in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul is talking about that same hypothetical situation. He says, just imagine for a minute that the resurrection didn't happen. It did happen, everyone. Just know that. But just imagine for a minute that it didn't happen. And what he says is, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, from the dead... um, Then the dead are not raised. Then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are to be the most pitied of all men. He gives this picture of what if Jesus hadn't resurrected from the dead, it means that you're still in your sins because your forgiveness can't overcome death. You're still in your sins, and we're to be the most pitied out of all people because we worship a God that can't forgive us. But the very next verse, it says, But Christ has indeed raised from the dead. He has raised from the dead. And God raising from the dead, it's kind of like that proof that everything and every one of his promises was true. It's the very proof that when you, when you give your heart to Christ and you say, God, do you really forgive me? He just says, look at the open tomb. So let's just look at the open tomb. I remember I was talking to a student one time, and we were talking about interesting conversation. We were talking about if you were talking to a friend that didn't know Jesus, what would you say to him or her? And I remember this friend was talking about, well, I think I would start by proving that the Bible was true, you know, historical facts, you know, that the flood happened and parting of the Red Sea happened. And as we began to talk, I remember just the suggestion came. It was, why not start with Jesus? Why not start with the death and resurrection? If you want to show someone who Jesus is, why not start right there? Because that's literally the doorway into relationship with God. And that's the only way that you could ever enter the door. I, I had this uh, privilege and opportunity this last year. I went out to Israel for about two weeks, and we, we toured all these places where Jesus was. When you think about all the miracles, Jesus walking on water, Jesus feeding the 5,000, the Sermon on the Mount, 
all these stories. We went and visited the actual sites where it happened. And at the end of our trip, we went and we visited the empty tomb. And so I have a couple pictures of it if you guys just want to look at it. That's the actual tomb. It's been historically proven that Jesus came out of that tomb. And the bed is empty in there, obviously. Um, It's always been empty. And let me ask you guys a question. How many of you know someone that looks and acts like their job? In the sense of, like, you know a lunch lady when you see a lunch lady. You know what I mean? Like, you know a PE teacher, you know, when you see a PE teacher. You know a lifeguard when you see one. Or, you know, you know when someone works at 7-Eleven, like, 2.15 or whatever. I remember specifically, there was a guy that worked there. They had tour guides that would take you around the tomb. They would talk to you about the death and the resurrection and all the historical facts. And there was this guy. His name was Tim. Tim was from England. He had a very sick accent, if I might say so myself. Now, Tim was someone, you know, out of all the people that led the tour guides throughout the Holy Land, I was caught off guard by this man because of the joy that he had. I never met someone who was so happy for no reason at all. In fact, he literally, in front of a group, went, woo like that. And I'm just, oh my gosh, like, I need to get home, you know. There was so much joy and there was so much excitement in his voice as he was explaining what this was. And I remember sitting there and going, that's someone that looks like his job. That's someone who looks at the open tomb every day. And literally, he has changed because he's looking at that open tomb every day of his life. We get to have that same thing because no matter what happens in your life, the tomb is empty. And every time that you look in there and you see that it's empty, it's proof that God's grace is big enough over your sins. It's proof that God is faithful to his word, that he's going to be with you no matter where you find yourself. It's proof that God's arm is never too short to reach you of where you're at. It's proof that he has a purpose for your life. And it's proof that God is alive and he loves you. See, that's the proof of the open tomb. And that's the best explanation that you could ever give to anyone about who God is, or even to yourself, whenever you doubt the Lord. God, are you really going to show up in this way? God, can you help me through this? I don't know if I can make it through this. And God just says, check it out. It's empty. Check it out. I rose from the dead, and I love you. That's my proof to you that I'll always be faithful to my word. In fact, what it would say in Romans 8.11 is that, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Can you all say, God's spirit lives in me. God's spirit lives in me. And when you call upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and left that tomb empty It lives within you. It resides in you. And you have this power. You have this spirit. You have God residing in you. Whether or not you realize it or not. That God wants to drop that in. And he wants us to live in that spirit. And give everything that we are to it. You even look at, you know, the disciples. Before they had the Holy Spirit. These were men who were timid. And even sometimes described as cowardly. Peter, one of his disciples, literally denied Jesus to a child because he was scared. Does that sound like boldness and courage to you at all? No. 
But oftentimes we find ourselves in those situations of timidity in our lives and with the people around us. And yet after the Holy Spirit poured down, here's a man who was standing up in front of thousands of people proclaiming the truth of God. Proclaiming and courage. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to you. Gives you the boldness and the courage to live on the resurrection power. Because you don't have to apologize for living with the Holy Spirit within you. And not only that, it doesn't just give you a boldness to do whatever you want. It gives you the boldness to live out your calling in Christ. You have the courage to be gentle in spirit. You have the courage to be loving to those who are unlovable to you. You have the power and the boldness to be patient. You have the power to have peace before you, no matter what someone may do to you. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. That's what the resurrection spirit gives to each and every one of us. In Acts 1, I think this is um, pretty interesting. It says that Jesus rose from the dead, and it says that he appeared to many people for 40 days, giving convincing proofs over and over and over that he was alive. That's not by coincidence that he did that to his own disciples because he wanted them to first and foremost understand that he was alive and that they knew that because that's the foundation of our faith, that Jesus is alive and he's kicking right now. You know, and from there it says that he ascended to heaven and then from there he sent his Holy Spirit down on his people and church, everyone look around the room, the church was born and that's how church started. So whether you know that or not, church was birthed by Jesus and birthed by the Holy Spirit. The reason this building is here right now is because Jesus founded his church and the Holy Spirit has carried it to this point. Church hasn't survived because of human traditions or human cultures or just passed down from your parents. Church has survived because of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the church is here right now. That's why we're all sitting here today, in fact. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you thought church was just, this is something my parents make me come to. This is something that my parents are bringing me to so I can just be a better person or just have better morals. And when you follow the Lord, you you begin to become more like him. But this is a place of the Spirit. This is something that's existed long before we were ever born. And the only reason it survives and exists and is, is where it's at is because of the Holy Spirit. I think... When you, when you think about what would life look like without the resurrection, you know, what would church look like without the resurrection? Hey, oh, church would be this. This is what church would look like. I, I wrote this down just as I had some time to think about it. Um, what would church look like without the Holy Spirit? Church would be a time to sing songs and feel better about ourselves. It would be a time to try and just be a better person so we could live with ourselves. It'd be a time to gain an edge on other people because we're insecure about who we really are. See, that's what what church would look like without the Spirit. And, you know, maybe for a lot of us in this room, that's what church looks like right now. And maybe that's because you're, you're spiritless in the sense of, I'm not relying on the Holy Spirit. I didn't know the Holy Spirit could give this. Or maybe you're just denying the Holy Spirit because you want to trust in yourself. And if that's you in this room, I just want to say that this message is for you. That God wants to tell you this right now, that he doesn't want you to live in that. He doesn't want you to live in this insecurity about who you are. He doesn't want you to live in this insecurity about the world around you. He doesn't want you to feel like you have to do all these things in order to matter in his kingdom because the Holy Spirit makes you something in God's kingdom. 
You see, in the same way that Jesus wasn't revived, he was resurrected, and that you aren't revived, but you're resurrected in Jesus, the church is not just revived. The church isn't just a livelier version of the world, but rather it's a resurrected. It's resurrected. It's this world resurrected. It's family resurrected. And so sometimes it can be easy to look at the church and say, it's got to look like the world, except it's got to be better. It's just got to be better. But the truth of the matter is, the church doesn't look anything like the world. It doesn't have the same values. It doesn't have the same heart as the world around us. Which is why, if you don't look like the people around you, but you're starting to look more and more like Jesus, perfect, you know? You weren't meant to look like the world around you. Which is why... Light and darkness have this contrast that happen together as something that's lighter and something that's darker. You become lighter, and so this contrast between you and the world just gets greater and greater and greater. You see, the world looks different, but it's all founded on the power of the resurrection, which is the main difference between a spiritless church and a spirit-filled church. It's based on the spirit of the resurrection. I think even just the opposite of that, what would church look like without the Spirit? And what would church look like with the Spirit? You see, church would be a time to sing songs and feel better about ourselves without the Spirit. But with the Spirit, church would be a time to worship God and to present yourself before Him because He's alive and He hears you. When you worship before the Lord, it's a time to praise Him. It's a time to, to yell praises. But it's also a time, if you're hurting, maybe just to present yourself. And to allow that Holy Spirit to just minister to you to wherever you're at. To trust in Him, not in the people around you. In the same way that church is a time to be a better person so that we can live with ourselves without the Spirit. With the Spirit, it's a time to, be, to look more and more like Jesus. It's a time to grow and look more and more like Him. And the more that you pursue Jesus, the more that you just look like Him in the way that you speak, the way that you act... Not just a churchgoer, but you look like a disciple of Jesus. In the same way, let's say that you, you're infatuated with a sport, which there's no one in this room that loves a sport or anything like that. The more that you love that sport and the more that you pursue that, it could be anything. The more you begin to look like that thing that you're pursuing, the more that you begin to dress like that thing that you're pursuing. And you see these practical things start to happen and said. Instead of just focusing on the practical things of God, just focus on Jesus and the practical things will just happen without you even knowing it because your eyes are on Christ. In a spiritless church, it could be a time to gain an edge on other people because we're insecure about who we really are. It could be a time to try and feel more spiritual than other people or feel like I'm doing better because I'm attending more, I'm doing this. But a spirit-filled church, church is a time to love one another and to build each other up. It's, it's founded in humility because we know who we are in Christ. And we don't have to prove ourselves to anyone around us. But instead, we trust in what God says about us in the resurrection. So that we're able to go and to love and to build other people up. Everyone look around the room at people. Don't stare, that's creepy. Or don't point. <laughs> Notes for life. You know... These are the people that we're called to love. And it even says that the, the way that we love one another by that spirit is a testimony to the world around us. Because there's a point where we get to preach the gospel, but even more, we get to show how genuine and how real God is by the way that we love one another. And there's nothing more powerful than if someone walks in that room 
Good thing no one walked in right now. Just someone walks in, just... Someone walks in this room, and if they were to take away one thing about that happens in here, isn't that the music was great, the preacher was awesome, you know. Though he is, you know. The one thing that they would say is that these, these people love each other. And so when someone says, Jesus loves you, they go, yeah, I get that. I see that. I see that alive in here, and I see that happening in here. That's the greatest commandment, is to love the Lord and to love one another. And that's, that's part of being founded in the resurrection, because if you know who you are, you can think about others before yourself, because you know that resurrection power is going to take care of you. See, that's the power of God within us, because he allows us to look at others just beyond ourselves. God has the ability to minister to us, but it only comes from faith in that spirit um, that lives within us, that allows us to move forward in that. I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come back up. You know, when we talk about the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and he gave him a new body, it says death no longer has a hold on him. That's the same spirit that lives within you. That although you live in a world that's cursed by sin, that's, that's filled with so much brokenness, you, however, are different. You aren't of the world because when you're in Christ. You experience the fullness of his forgiveness. You associate with God in his death and that you get crucified to everything of this world and you're raised up in him. You're given a new life. You're given a new hope and you're given a new purpose in him. And you know, this morning, um, if you guys just want to bow your heads, that power um, is something that lives within us and it's something that we build our life on that. It's something that every day when we wake up, we have to say, God, I need your spirit. God, I need that spirit to live within me because without it, I won't be able to make it, God. I don't want to rely on my might or by my power, but by your spirit. Lord, I want to rely on you because that's what church really is. That's what a family in Christ really looks like. We're a people that rely on your spirit, Lord. We put all our eggs in a basket, Lord, and we say, God, if we're putting it all on you and we're trusting in you with this. And you know, maybe this morning... Maybe this morning you've never heard of Jesus and you hear about this resurrection. You saw that the tomb was empty and you say, I want that. I want that forgiveness. And I know that forgiveness is real and I want that in my heart. And you want to call Jesus your Lord and Savior because he's the only one that overcame death. That no other way can overcome death. There's only one way that can overcome your own sins and death and that's Jesus. If that's you this morning and you want to make that declaration in your heart, I just want to pray with you. I want to pray with you this morning and just let you know that God forgives you and that he loves you and that he's so excited that you've chosen to give your heart to him. It's a beautiful thing. There says that there's rejoicing in heaven over that. Maybe this morning you're someone who has gone to church, you know Jesus, but you haven't really relied on his spirit. Maybe you're someone that's just relied on your own abilities. Maybe you're someone who just hasn't given a lot of thought to the Holy Spirit or didn't even know that you had that Holy Spirit live within you. And just with all eyes closed in the room, I just want to do something with you guys. Maybe you're someone that has gone to church your whole life. You've heard thousands of sermons. Maybe you go to a Christian school and you just feel tired. And you just feel like you've been running just the same race over and over again. And maybe it's because you're not, it's been more about the information. It's been more about culture than it has been you know, the Holy Spirit. And maybe you just need the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to make that your foundation. And just with eyes closed, if that's you, I just want you to just to raise your hand where you're at. 
um, go ahead and just stick it up. Maybe that's just you right now that you say, I want to be baptized in that spirit. You say, Lord, I want to I want to live in the power of your spirit right now. I want to pray with you guys. I want to pray with all of you that we would be a people that just are founded in the resurrection. God, thank you for raising from the dead for us and for giving us that same spirit within us. Lord, we love you and we praise you so much for who you are. God, thank you that death no longer has a hold on you, nor does it have a hold on us. In Jesus' name.